BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. If you just go with what you believe in and make your home the way you want it to, it will always be beautiful. Even if it's not my specific style or someone else's, it will be yours. That's so fascinating to me, right? Like, I love that. Anyone that makes their own world is very interesting to me. Welcome to Being Home with Hunker, a podcast where we explore the idea of home, not just as a place where you live, but as an expression of your identity. I'm your host, Lori Gunning Grossman, Editorial Director at Hunker. Today on the show, I'm thrilled to share again my chat with interior designer Nina Freudenberger in this best of conversation. I was first introduced to Nina through her design book, Surf Shack and Bibliostyle, which I imagine many of you have either heard of or seen while scrolling design accounts on social media. Or perhaps you already have these books on your coffee table or a shelf at home like me. In this conversation, Nina talks about how her curiosity in how people create their worlds led to her writing books, and she discusses the focus of our next book, which is on mountain houses. If you follow her on Instagram, you'll see how she's been traveling to different countries recently for this book, and the behind-the-scenes photos she takes of her adventures are breathtaking. We also talk about her work as an interior designer. As a matter of fact, after this podcast first aired, I stayed at one of the hotels that we talk about in this chat, the San Luis Creek Lodge in California, which she designed. It's gorgeous. We also talk about her rules around lighting, the advice she was given about being a successful interior designer, and her methods for writing books. I was so inspired talking with Nina, and I think you will be too. So please enjoy this best of conversation with interior designer Nina Freudenberger. Hi, Nina. Hi. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Welcome to our Being Home with Hunker podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm so excited. I first want to do a rundown of all the things that you've been up to. Because you are a person who just creates and creates and creates, it's seeming, right? So you have your own interior design studio, Mm -hmm. and you work in residential spaces, you work in hospitality, Mm -hmm. and you just designed two hotels, I think, this past year? It's been a a really wild wide, yes, two hotels. Amazing. You're the author of two books, Biblio Style and Surf Shack. Um, And then you have your own made-to-order furniture line. Mm Mm-hmm. You have a collection with Lulu and Georgia on rugs. Mm-hmm, correct. And you're a mom. 
to two boys. And I'm a mom. Girl. It is a wild... You just made it sound really almost unbelievable. That's really, it sounds crazy over there. If I was listening, I'd be like, what is even happening? Well, here's what I want to know. When you were young, have you always been a creative person? Have you always been a maker, an entrepreneur? When did all of this start for you? You know, I think I was always a maker. You know, I always thrived kind of in the art creative category. And, you know, in high school, I was like the art girl and... I always found time to do art and I found happiness in it. And it was always my space where I felt my best. However, I have this other side of me that is very businessy and (laughs) that's not a word, but I do, (laughs) I've always dreamed of being a small business owner. And my parents raised me to really think independently and said that women can do anything. I hope you own your own business one day. And that kind of cultivated this interest in doing something that where I could express myself in an artistic way, but also to be able to have a small business that was actually a real small business, profitable, you could make your living off of it, um, and that I would find joy in doing both of these things overlapping. And so that's how I think why it makes sense for me now. But I definitely dabble in all, I love the periphery. I love design, but I love all those extra things that come around it. And I think that's why you could list so many things to start with, because I'm not just a fixed interior designer. I love all the other things that kind of come along with that profession. Yeah. Is that what was modeled to you with both of your parents? Is that what you saw or with your grandparents? You know, my mother is an artist. She paints. And my father was a banker. So it was almost like I took these two worlds. And by in no means am I a banker, but in I had these two very different types of people. So I was always trying to combine those two. Mm. You know, I think when I was figuring out what I was going to do in college, the conversation came up a lot. How are you going to make a living as an artist? What are you going to do as a creative? What is your life going to be like? And I think that in my brain, what made the most sense, and I could really picture this creative environment mixed with something that felt like I could have a small business around was architecture, which is what I ultimately studied at Rhode Island School of Design. Yeah, so you went to Rhode Island School of Design Mm -hmm. for architecture, and then you made a pivot. So I did the five-year BR program at RISD, um, which leaves you with a Bachelor's of Architecture plus a Bachelor's of Fine Arts. Right after that, I kind of got plucked and kind of recruited by an architecture firm in New York City. And this architecture firm was kind of building those huge, tall skyscrapers and like those enormous, like, you know, 100-story buildings. And I remember coming in and being so intimidated. It was just like a floor of just men doing like fire stairs. And like, there were not very many female architects at the time. And there was a smaller subsection in the architecture firm that was kind of focusing on interiors. And truthfully, I do think because I showed up as a female, I think they kind of slowly, gently eased me into the interior section. I don't know. I like ended up in the materials library all of a sudden. And I was like, Mm. just sorting through materials. And then slowly I would start to pick furniture and slowly I started to get on the design team and doing the floor plans. And at first I was like a little depressed. I was like, I, you know, I kind of trained as an architect. I want this big job. And then as I found my own space in interior design, I fell completely in love with it. You know, Mm. I had the opportunity to meet the clients. You don't meet clients when you're, you know, designing a skyscraper. I was, the timeline's shorter. I got to go shopping during the day. I got, you know, had this whole other experience and I just decided, wow, I can picture this. I know what 
the path could be. I know I could have my own business doing this and it just seems manageable. And I kind of just dived in and, um, you know, learned as much as I possibly could the whole time. Did you feel like it's a natural talent of yours to have an eye for interior design, even though you were sort of moved into it at this architectural firm? Did it feel natural for you when working with clients and having a vision for either what you wanted or what they wanted to bring to life? Yeah. You know, looking back now, I think a lot about how I got here or why I do what I do. And I actually think I am quite well-suited for this job. Mm. Like there are a lot of qualities that thinking about I see that are very helpful being an interior designer. I love people. Like I just love people. Yeah. You know, I like, I don't even mind it like finding people in different moods. I also work much better kind of with a hands-on experience. You know, I love touching things and playing around. I kind of work better in the real world in that way, as opposed to just behind a screen. Mm. I think I've always been obsessed with how people live. Like I remember going on walks in the neighborhood towards dusk time. And like, that's the perfect time to see inside someone's house and see kind of how the family's gathering or what lights on and what kind of their style is. And I just, those things all came together for me. And so, yeah, I think it's the perfect profession, really. Yeah. I a hundred percent can relate to you on liking to take walks maybe taking a little peek, not being a peeping Tom. If the window's open, just looking in and seeing maybe how people are living. It's so fascinating to me. It's the best. I mean, that's why I do those books because I get to kind of peek into other people's worlds. There's a part of me that loves to create worlds for people, but there's the other side of me that's actually just interested in how people create their own worlds. Yeah. You know, I ask people sometimes like the weirdest questions like, you know, what's your morning routine? Like, where do you put your coffee cup right after you make your cup of coffee? Are you walking around the house? Are you putting it on the table? I love getting specific with rituals, domestic rituals. And I think that's part of my curiosity with people. And, yeah, you know, just designing kitchens, you find out so much. Some clients say, I don't cook. And I'm like, well, then let's do a different kind of kitchen. And then some people are like, all I do is cook and I want to enjoy it and I want it to be easy. And I'm like, great. I got you. And sometimes people say like, the kids are always in the kitchen. I really need to be careful, but I want them to experience it. And I want it to feel warm and family oriented. That's very different too. So. Yeah. Do you feel like people when you're working with them are very connected with what they want or do you have to help draw it out of them? You have to ask. Yeah. As someone once told me the way to being a successful interior designer it's just to like not talk about yourself, just to ask the client as many questions as humanly possible. Mm, Everyone's yeah. ready to share. You just have to listen and they will tell you as long as you're listening carefully enough. Right. How was your home designed when you were growing up? Does that have any influence on your design style now or any people in your family have influence on your design style? I think so. I think both my parents had an influence. My parents are German and I think they were never afraid of the modern. They always revered kind of modern design. They wouldn't, weren't afraid to try something new. Um, they also mixed the modern and antique. And I mm -hmm. always thought that was really exciting. I don't do antique per se, but I definitely do vintage. And my mother was like a master at textiles, just with the beautiful rugs, the Persian rugs, and then layering other upholstery materials and like leopard prints and things like that, but then on a very modern silhouette. I think they both had great eyes. Mm. Things would be moving like at all times in the house. 
Like rearranging, you mean? Yeah, like rearrange. Something would like shift. And I was like, what's happening here? And like, I don't know. And I love that. I love that you have things in your house and no matter where you put them, they just look like they were always meant to be there. And I think good design is when it can be flexible. Yeah. Did they both grow up in Germany? They did. Mm -hmm. And so did you go back there when you were a child or throughout your life? Yeah, I was born there. You know, we moved over when I was pretty young, but we would go back quite a bit. You know, our entire family was there. We're the first portion of the family to move to the United States. So we're really the first ones. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to someone recently. I think they were talking about Germany and spending time there and just the differences in how people use their homes. Maybe it seemed a little more family oriented or there's like a general space for people to come together. I don't know if you saw that or if that is something you enjoy as well, like a central table where kids do their homework. And You know, that's so interesting you say that because I always thought I didn't realize if I was doing it, but I have that exact table at my house here, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a built-in bench and it can seat the whole family for dinner. We could have guests there. Everyone's doing their homework there. We can play chess on that table. You can have a cocktail on that table. Like I can set my work table. It's basically an oversized table that kind of straddles but it's a bench that almost looks like a sofa. So it almost straddles the combination between dining and like living. Yeah. I think Germans definitely are very family, but close family oriented. So definitely extended family, but not like extended. I think Germans are a little bit more like immediate family and they make sure that everyone's kind of in the same room. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So when you were in New York, you had a store there. Mm -hmm. Brick and mortar store. Brick and mortar store. And you had that for, was it eight years? Eight years. Wow. And then you moved from New York to California. What was that like for you? Like, was it a culture shock? Did you embrace it right away? Did it take a while? (laughs) Tell me like three years before I acknowledged where I was living. Like, I like just telling everyone I was on vacation in California, but I had like straight moved all my belongings here. So I was very casual about the move. I was like, see you later, guys. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. And I just like... Mm moved all my stuff. And then I got here and things are done so differently here in California. Style's different. The light is different. People dress differently. It was really a huge adjustment. I mean, I was living in New York City where people were working till 11 at night. Work never really stopped. Everyone's on the go. To California, which the lifestyle totally was different than the energy that I was seeing in New York. And it took me a long time to kind of capture and also to figure it out. New resources, you know, new relationships with vendors and showrooms and craftspeople. I mean, it was like starting from scratch. I didn't think it through, <laughs> so I just moved. But I, it was actually really, really hard. I started all over again when I moved to the West Coast. And then did you find that your design style shifted from being on the West Coast? For sure. I mean, my style was so totally different in New York. And I think my stuff was like almost shiny in New York. (laughs) I don't Mm -hmm. know how to explain it, but like it felt like a little definitely urban, definitely, you know, but like in New York City, style is so different. And in California, like the doors are open. I mean, painted white walls is like everything in California. In New York City, it's like, are you in a rental? Like, it's really mm. totally different vibes. And I couldn't figure it out at first. I was like, how are things so casual but put together? What is this? Which kind of led me to my first book, which was, how do I figure out what's happening in California? And I decided to kind of make my life about figuring it out. I'm so curious about your books. Speaking of your books, How do you find the homes to go into? How do you even discover them, especially 
with either one, with Surfshack or BiblioStyle. Did you just do research? Tell me about this. Okay, so I think different books were different things. So The Surfer is maybe a little more outgoing, a little bit more, you know, social, um, kind of out there. So, you know, you have to dig. And what I do, I think what I do well, but I'm not sure, but (laughs) this is how I do these books, is I really ask for people's help. It's a kind of a social experiment. It's asking friends, it's asking acquaintances, hey, have you ever seen a cool surfer's home? Is there a home that you love that's by the water where the owners surf? And then it's doing deep dives. And then sometimes I like, you know, have to creep a little bit like on social media. And I do deep dives into the research onto the internet and Pinterest and like, you know, magazines and, you know, and it's often, it's not what's in front of you. It's usually the thing that's like right behind it. So it's usually never the friend that someone has suggested but that person knows of someone else that can get me there. So it's usually this really interesting kind of social experiment, really. Yeah. And then I just don't be afraid to ask. I mean, I'm cold emailing these people and asking to go into their homes and photograph it. I mean, I like sound a little bit crazy. It took me a little bit of time to kind of get over that fear and then just kind of present myself as, you know, an interior designer that's really curious. And, you know, of course, in the first book, it was much harder than now on my third book to kind of get into people's homes. It was a lot of hard work. It's like just so much work. But I had something to prove to myself, I think, that what I was interested in, maybe other people would be interested in. And even if I don't know enough about something such as making a book that I can figure it out with enough work and energy. Oh, I love that. Is that part of your makeup, do you think, naturally, that you just figure things out as you go? 100%. Like, I opened that store on Elizabeth Street, and I've never worked a POS system. I mean, I think I was a greeter at Pottery Barn once, you know? Uh-huh. I, like, yeah. never worked in a store, so, like, properly or owned a store. I mean, I had no experience I never had experience in writing books. I kind of got, you know, my editor was trusted me for some unbelievably amazing reason, but she was like, go for it. And I delivered a book in two years later. I mean, it was just like, I love a challenge. And when I don't know how to do something, I get even more exhilarated. Mm. I actually get somewhat bored if I've done it too many times before. So I kind of back off those things, which is way maybe I have all these like, you know, these things. Yeah. All the irons in the fire. Yeah. (laughs) So when you are writing your books and you said you're writing a third one, mm-hmm. are you able to say what that one's about or no? Of course. I'm in mid-process. Oh, okay. So like, oh. let's just do it. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. This one is on mountain houses around the world. Oh. So we are going deep into nature. Love. And I would say it's about finding like high design or really cool ways of living in nature that I think don't fall under your typical categories. We're going all over the world, the Atlas Mountains. We're going to go to Mexico. We got some in Brazil. I got some in Sweden. We're going to be traveling the world. But I think it's about taking away this archetype of the mountain house with like an antler and a flaccati rug and all of that and kind of talking a little bit more seriously about what it means to live in the mountains Mm. and imagining in a wonderless kind of way what your life would be, say you just disconnected and went and did something crazy like lived in the mountains. Yes. And what that means to those people, you know, and what a wonderful way to live. And I think it's very timely. We all got really scared during the pandemic. People were like fleeing the cities. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think what we realized in the end, we all always have nature. And that was there for us through the pandemic. And Humans have lived in nature, obviously, since the beginning of time. And let's connect back to that and uh, reset. And so that's what the book is. Yeah. 
Do you have a preference yourself personally? Are you a beach person, a mountain person, desert person? What do you resonate with? I mean, had you asked me during Surfshack, I would have been like, I'm a beach person. Now I'm like a mountain person. <laughs> you asked me during the list, I would yeah. be like, I only read books. I don't stop reading. So I don't know. I'd, uh, it really is so immersive. Right now I am very into mountain houses, especially since my son's just started skiing. I want to support that. So fun. Now, it sounds like a dream job to many people that you, for your books, travel. You get to see all these different countries, different places, meet different people. When you do the traveling and you're traveling with a photographer, I'm assuming, Mm -hmm. and probably a crew of some people. No, no crew. No? Photographer and the writer. It's just me, us three, sometimes just you, just your small crew. I carry the backpack. I'm the assistant camera person. There are no frills. Economy, we are doing it, but we get to see the world, so. And do you like the travel part of it? You know, to be honest, I think that's what has always attracted me. I think that's why I do the books. You know, I love traveling and I love seeing how other people live. You know, interior design, you you can travel for sure. You can get projects, but like, I'm probably not going to get a job in Morocco. So how do I get to see someone's house in Morocco? That's not a hotel. And so, you know, these books allow me to see these incredible locations, but from a different point of view and not as a tourist in a way. And Bibliostyle had more travel than Surfshack, but Surfshack definitely went to Japan and Australia. Bibliostyle, I think it was like eight countries. And it's really intense to travel, but it fuels me for like a solid two years. And do you normally plan it out so you do like a chunk of travel around the same time? Like you go out for a certain amount of time and visit different countries? Yeah. So these books are pretty much produced, you know, I'm in the kind of research phase where I'm gearing, kind of stacking all the homeowners. You know, I'm also a travel agent in this respect. I have to figure out the itinerary, you know, connect with all the homeowners after sorting through hundreds of homes. Then I schedule it. But really production of like, you know, doing the photo shoots is like four to five months of travel, but not in a huge chunk. So I have a family. My photographer usually has a family. In this case, he does. The writer can't, you know, we all have day jobs. Like this is a passion project. So like I can't just disappear for two months. So we do it like, you know, we'll do strategic like two weeks. You know, the longest I think I did was like two weeks, but it's usually like 10 days in and out. Like every day is like a photo shoot. You fly home. You're super tired. You didn't see anything. It's not like I'm sightseeing there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we got kids, life, work. Yeah. But you're energized. You're doing something cool. I mean, it sounds so fascinating. It's fun. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Now, as you're going into these different homes in different countries, what are you gleaning from them? What are some takeaways that perhaps you use in your own home? 
that you hadn't thought about until you've gone to these different countries, seeing how different people are living? You know, I tend to not choose people who have used interior decorators. Occasionally in there will be an interior designer and it'll be their own home or it will be someone, but I feel like that their decorator really captured them. But really, I love seeing like inventive and cool ideas that people are coming up with and they don't need a professional, quote unquote, to tell them what to do. I love seeing the confidence and decisions and something coming out really incredible. I think that's so remarkable. And I think confidence is everything in interior design. Mm. If you're feeling nervous and you don't have a decor and like you're just like always fussing, like trying to make decisions or like you're like stalling at all times, your home is going to look half finished. It won't have a vibe. I won't be able to get a sensibility. If you just go with what you believe in and make your home the way you want it to, it will always be beautiful. Even if it's not my specific style or someone else's, it will be yours. That's so fascinating to me, right? Like, I love that. Anyone that makes their own world is very interesting to me. Yeah, I resonate with that. Having an authentic home, Mm -hmm. basically people who are creating their homes to reflect who they are. Yeah. Right? And this is a lot of what we talk about with Hunker and on this podcast, thinking about how our homes reflect our identities, thinking about that, if someone came to your home and say they didn't know you and they walked into your home, who do you think they would say lived in that home? How would they describe the person or the family that lived there? Great question. Um, I think someone would find that my home would feel, I think they would know very quickly it was a family home. They would sense that and that it's a constant goal of mine to actually, as interestingly you say, to keep the family kind of assembled in an area so we're all kind of communicating with each other um, and we don't just disappear into separate areas. I believe strongly in authenticity of materials. And so for me to see a maker's hand in something, like a skill set, like, you know, a really gorgeous bow tie joint and some wood joinery, wood materials, you know, linens, fabrics, if someone sees that. And then also this layer of collecting, you know, I love every time I go somewhere trying to drag something back, but not making it like a clutter item, making it something Mm. that becomes an heirloom or something that becomes part of our family existence, you know, that we always look over there and I know where it came from, but it fits right into our lives. Are there things in your home that you hold as most valuable? Now, there are definitely some items that I've traveled with. Like I remember in Venice, I got this really cool paper sculpture thing that I just loved. And I brought it back and I put it on a pedestal because A, it can't fall down and hurt my children. Um, B, it was made by like this old like, you know, paper sculptor that's been doing the same thing for like in his family for like 100 years. It's all like a handmade paper and this gorgeous sculpture thing. I will say that I disassociate a little bit from furniture. Mm. It means something to me, but because I am around it all the time, care about it deeply, but there's not something that I would be devastated without. I don't know how to explain that. Yeah. I don't know if that's scary to say, but like, I just don't have an attachment to furniture. Always excited to see what else I like, you know, or other versions or another way of sitting in that chair or using that space. There's something about a gentle turnover that's really nice. Mm. When you're furnishing places of your own, you said you like to do like a mix of vintage Mm -hmm. with some newer pieces. 
With clients, it's a little harder. With me, it's like I see something and then I'm like, I'm taking it right now in the back of the car. We're driving this home. Mm -hmm. With clients, it's a little harder. They're trying to get the approval, like the fast decision, just like there's no return. This is coming home. I can't change this decision. You know, fast decisions are hard for clients sometimes. It's a little different of a process. I try to add it in where I can, but it's usually kind of done towards the end where I add elements and they kind of shop the room and I have placed vintage items that I I've taken out on approval and then they can make that decision. But it is a little hard to shop true vintage. A lot of the stuff I do is like very like at the moment. So unless I just happen to be shopping really heads up for them and have their attention, it's hard to kind of go for it, you know? Every once in a while, it depends. So if someone is reaching out to you, whether it's a homeowner or someone who wants to design a new hotel, what is it about your style that people are attracted to? What is that feeling? How would you describe that? I don't know. I sometimes say it's like Nordic, Scandinavian, like Californian kind of vibes. That makes no sense. But like, I actually think in some way you can kind of imagine it. My design is relatively accessible. I don't think I'm sourcing from auction houses in like, you know, something that people feel stuck up or kind of too formal. I mean, I really believe that homes should be lived in and I'm not making this house the cover of AD. I'm making it for them. And if it doesn't look good because you shifted the the floral arrangement to the left a little bit and now the whole room looks like a mess, I haven't done my job. So really it's like what happens when I leave? So I hope in some of the images, people see a little bit of flexibility, some casualness, but it, but it takes very little to kind of pull together that tailored look so that when someone walks in the home, they think, wow, I not only appreciate how sophisticated it is and the level of design, but I also feel like I understand the person that lives here a little bit better. Yeah. When you're taking on a job, let's say with a residence, Do you have a design motto that serves as your compass or even with any of the design projects you take on? Is there like a compass that's like your North Star every time you're working on any kind of design project or even on your books? I mean, I definitely have intuition in that sense and I try to listen to it. So if something's bugging me and even if I place that order and it's still bothering me, I will go back and fix that retro. I'm never afraid to say something. Even if in the end I go back to the client and say, you know what? I thought those chairs were perfect, but I think these are even better. You know, that's hard for some people to say. Some interior designers would never go back on that, but I do very rarely, but at least I'm honest. And I would say being authentic and honest in everything I do is like my guiding principle. And I think that's in the books too. I don't style those shots. They are authentic looks into people's homes. It's not my work. It's their work. And with that, I hope that people see that. And I really think that's important. Yeah. I think it does resonate with your books. And I think it's also one of the reasons why it's so popular. I mean, you go on Instagram and someone has a shot of their coffee table. One of your books is going to be on it. (laughs) (laughs) That's so nice. But, you know, truthfully, I think there's a lot of copy culture happening right now. Mm. And I don't mind that. I mean, it's okay. Sometimes you have an icon or you need to look up to something. And some people really just do better really being fueled, but very directly through something. I get it. But there's also a bunch of people that are looking for new things to be inspired by. And I've gotten to the end of a Pinterest search, you know, like gotten to the end of Pinterest. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's so important to see what else is out there and to keep looking for it, you know? Yes. Now, if someone isn't able to travel and they want to find inspiration in different places, aside from say Instagram or Pinterest... 
What do you suggest to people? There's so many different ways. You know, I think it is the most boring answer to say you find inspiration in travel, right? I would say every person that does an interview is probably like, oh, please don't answer that. (laughs) But, you know, I think it's just being open-minded. Like, go figure out your own city. Even a backyard could be inspirational. I don't even care, but just like get up, walk around, see what's out there, taste something new, talk to someone different, like look around in certain places, sit on a park bench and watch what people are wearing. Whatever you do, I think you can find it in other ways that are not direct links to your profession. If you're looking for interior design, is it the best thing to only look at other interior designers' work? Probably not. I hope that we all look in other things. I hope we go to the art museum or I hope that we listen to good music or I hope we go out for a nice dinner and feel inspired by the conversation we had at dinner. I think that that's just as important as picking up those direct influences. And so I know that the answer of travel is super boring, but I think that you can do that every day if you wanted. Very true. I mean, people can travel to downtown to a park. Travel to the end of your block, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. So like really, it's not about location. It's not about your exotic locale, you know. Yeah. When it comes to your house, do you have non-negotiables that you like to have in your space? I will say that lighting is everything to me. And I think having overhead lighting and floor lighting and wall lighting and table height lighting, you know, the rule that I do generally is three different sources in every room at a minimum Mm. or three categories. So sconces, pendant, recessed, very bare minimum. I'm just thinking of my living room now and I have sconces, I have pendant, I have standing lamp and I have some table lamps. Those are four. So I set the tone depending on how the day is going. You know, sometimes it's like higher energy in the house and I'm like, we're just trying to like, let's ease into dinner. And then only a few of those go on. When I'm trying to relax at the end of the night, all go off except for the table lamps, you know? I think setting the tone in your house with light is like the best way possible, but you have to have the options available to you. You can't just like put your recess lights on a dimmer. You know, you can't be like mood three and you're just dim like a little notch lower with your recess lights, you know? Yeah. Are you a candle person too? I'm actually like afraid I'm going to burn the whole house down. Like I'm going to forget oh. like because I'm like all over the place with the kids. <laughs> that I'm gonna, like, But you know, I used to produce candles that were sold in like 400 stores. So I am a candle person, but you know, I actually think I burnt out on candles. Like I just can't do it anymore. Like a scent. I'm like, whoo. Oh. So I was thinking about your hotels that you designed in California, San Luis Obispo and Cambria. Mm-hmm. San Luis Obispo is one of my favorite spots. It's where I got married. Oh, lucky you. It is so nice. Oprah called it like the happiest town in America or something like that. It was labeled that years ago by the man who put together the blue zones. Mm. Dan Butner, I think is his name. They studied all these different places around the world. And for different reasons, you know, there's not one place that's like perfect, perfect. Right. San Luis Obispo came out as one of the happiest places. When I first got there, I like just was shocked because it feels comfortable and kind of sweet and pretty and everything's nice. It's a very sophisticated community, actually, with a lot to offer, delicious food, things to do. Like, it's actually really remarkable, that place. I love it, too. Yes. And with all of the different work that you're doing between designing residences, hotels, creating your books and furniture and rug lines, is there anything right now that jazzes you up the most? Like what lights you up the most with interior design? Such a good question. I mean, I will say that doing the hospitality project was like the best for me. Mm. Really thrived in that zone because it's kind of combining all the things that I feel like I love and I do well 
and making it so that I can actually curate an experience because I know the rituals of a traveler. So like, I know you need a place to put your bag when you come in the door. I know that you need to put your makeup bag on the side of the counter. I, I will help you. Like, you know, they're like razor isn't on the floor. Like I know it because I do it, but we all actually do something quite similar when we're in a hotel room. I mean, I'm not a scientist. I don't know, but I mean, I think we can all imagine we have this similar rituals when we travel. And I just love that experience. I loved designing not just a environment, but like I was asked to help with music and scents and shampoo and mini bar and sheet material. And like that part was just logo. Like it was just really fun to create, really have the trust of the hotel group to let me have a hand in almost all of it and not just like do the FF&E for like a guest room and that's it, you know? So that was awesome. I think I'm interested in doing more. It's like the right fit for me. I don't want it to be exclusively my business, but I love the experience of those days. Mm. And I like how you said you thought about all the aspects of the space from the scent, you said music, because I think that maybe sometimes people forget that all of that matters yeah. in our spaces, right? Like in our home spaces. Absolutely. And I can't do that in your own house, like as a private client. Like I can maybe direct you to a little scent, but then you're going to be like making salmon that night. I can't help you. <laughs> like, Yeah. <laughs> but in a hotel, I actually can somewhat kind of curate that in an almost distilled way. And I love that so much. Like I'm not going to tell my client what toothpaste to use or what shampoo to use, but you know, in a hotel, I actually telling you what shampoo to use. You have that shampoo that's in there. (laughs) Right. Right. And so I love that. Do you think further in the future, as far as your career path and where you want it to go, are you future and forward thinking, or do you just kind of like go with the flow in your intuition? How does it work for you? So it's really interesting. When I first started my career, I was definitely very forward focused. And then I think that after I had children, I really had to start to go with the flow. Biggest lesson as a parent is just go with the flow. Whatever you think will happen, well, the opposite will happen. No expectations, kind of just go with it. So I think that's kind of what's happened kind of in my career where I've been so excited, but a little bit of go in the flow. Lately, I've been sensing this energy again where I'm being really deliberate in some of the decisions I'm making. I'm like narrowing the focus and I can feel something bubbling again. I'm not sure what it is, mm-hmm. but I can sense I'm being like funneled right back into a more focused version as the children get older. And I can kind of start to imagine the light at the end of the tunnel. It, you know, it's hard to have small kids. And so it was really about just kind of getting through it, enjoying every moment. But of course, just making sure that, you know, to have a career and having kids is hard. So that was that. And now I can see something else happening. I love that you have a feeling that's like, kind of bubbling. Something's happening. I too. It's like, really? I don't know. I just start to get a little more excited about certain things. I find myself like kind of drifting off into thought about other ideas. You're like, oh, I know I want to do, I don't have enough time in the day. There was a period where you're kind of drifting with the kids when you're just so exhausted and you have very little, not even physically, just like mentally, like you cannot even make a decision. And now it's like sparks are popping and like, I'm not sure which thing will distill yet, but I just feel like something is lurking. Oh, Nina, that's so exciting. Mm. <laughs> when is your book coming out? The book will be coming out in the fall of 2023. I know that sounds really far away, but when I hear that, I'm like, whoa, I better get this book made. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you as we're rounding out this conversation, what does being home mean to you? 
Being home means feeling your very best in your environment, feeling your truest self with the people you love the most, surrounded by what feels the most comfortable around you and where you can kind of shed the day, the world, and just be you. I love it. Oh, great. It's nice. <laughs> great. Thanks, Lori. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Nina. It's been so lovely talking with you. Wow. This was great for me. This was like design therapy in a way. So thank you for asking such great questions. I think I even learned something about myself, but it was really interesting the way you, the podcast and how you, the questions and just thank you for including me. It's really wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. You're a delight. Well, thanks. Maybe I'll see you over. I live in Los Angeles. You're in Los Angeles, right? Sure, come hang out with me. Yeah. Like, you know, well, let's have a drink. I would love to. I feel like you can ask me more. I can get like deeper into my soul. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think you're delightful. I'm so pleased you were able to do this podcast. Anytime. That was really so fun. Visit Nina on her website, freudenbergerdesign.com, where you can learn more about her projects, books, and products. Or visit her on Instagram at Nina Freudenberger. Follow her to see some of the behind-the-scenes photos that are happening on her next book. It's going to make you want to travel. Also, head to our show notes for more information about Nina and for ideas on other episodes we think you might like based on this conversation, such as my chat with interior designer Cliff Fong, textile designer Serena Dugan, and parachute founder Ariel Kay. Thank you for listening to Being Home with Hunker. For more information about this episode or others, visit hunker.com forward slash podcast. And if you don't already, please follow our show. If you like what you hear, be sure to give us a five-star rating and review and share it with your friends. It really does help. Being Home with Hunker is produced by me, Lori Gunning Grossman. Eve Epstein is our executive producer. The podcast is recorded and mixed at Night Shift Audio. Theme music by Jonathan Grossman. Special thanks to our team at Hunker, Senior Designer Maury Men, and Director of Audience Development Gina Goff. Hunker's mission is to inspire and empower you to create a space that expresses who you are, shows off your unique style, and makes your life happier and more productive. <laughs>